This is the Medical Matters Podcast, a program which brings direct information, engaging discussion, and insight into the current state and issues surrounding healthcare. Now, here's your hosts, Dr. Peter Breyer and nurse practitioner Kelly McCormick. And today we're going to talk about two new medications that have been FDA approved and for over-the-counter use medication. And it is going to be the first um, over-the-counter birth control pill um, in the U.S. Apparently um, other countries other than the U.S. and apparently it's like over 100 countries have over-the-counter birth control that's available and we are uh, behind uh, doing that. So, so that'll be available in early 2024. Yep. So it'll be six months or so away. And, um, and the company, the drug company, is quote committed to ensuring that O pill, which is what it's called, O pill, is affordable and accessible to people who need it. So hopefully, it's going to be cheaper than prescription uh, was, and uh, also will. Um, according to the FDA, enable people to have greater access to birth control. And uh, I'm a little questioning about the safety of this hormone. It's a hormone. And, so, uh, some of, so I guess the thing is, you know, what, you know, to me I look at it and say, like, what will the packaging say? Like, it will, let's say, for um, approved for all users or females Except or whatever for, uh, of reproductive age. Well, it's that could be indicated for people who've had breast cancer, right? But how about for you know for for who are they proving it for? People of reproductive age, including teenagers. And I mean, in some, you know, I mean, nowadays it seems like some girls get their periods pretty early. You know, does that mean an eleven-year-old, a twelve-year-old? I, who gets their menses? I, I think. I wonder if there's a. There should be some kind of age where you can buy this thing. I well, would, you would think, but at I least guess that's sixteen or eighteen, <laughs> or, you know, but not twelve. I mean, you know, but uh, I don't know. It's. Uh, so I don't. I don't see anything about those details. So I think that will be be interesting to to come out. Um, some side effects. There are side effects, although they say it's safe. Uh, Irregular bleeding, headaches, dizziness, nausea, increased appetite, which would mean weight gain, abdominal pain, cramps, or bloating are the most common side effects. It doesn't, because it doesn't have estrogen, it's a progesterone, which is a different hormone than estrogen. Uh, progesterone sort of strips the uterus of active cells. So, so it strips the lining? It strips the lining, so it's inhospitable to... Uh, accepting contraception right so whether it's really uh, really safe uh, I I don't know it has seems to have a lot of side effects but I think I think in general it's very expensive to go to a doctor or a health clinic anymore it's like a what $160 to go to get an exam because no doctor is going to give it Without doing an exam, right. or shouldn't, right. I would say, do it without giving an exam. Uh, and if you do experience irregular menstrual bleeding, I think you should see a, a doctor or nurse practitioners or Yeah, your somebody. GYN, yeah. 
you know, an OBGYN. And uh, so I think it's like many things in medicine, sort of a mixed blessing. I don't know. There's political issues too. Well, <laughs> surrounding it, <laughs> right? You know that that is true. Kind of the political, political, ethical, moral, all of that. Yeah, and so stuff. Uh, um, so yeah, it was. Um, you know, here were some concerns. It said some of the scientists at the FDA. Um, was con- were concerned about women with breast cancer or a history of breast cancer that they may not know um, not to use the drug. Um, but, uh, you know, the counter to that was they didn't expect that to be a problem because they said, because many women with breast cancer are already where they should not use hormonal contraceptives. Well, it would probably be a big black box warning on the, I would think, on the, on the side of the... Right. On the side of the box... So, so and, and it doesn't cause thromboembolism, which is the big side effect of the other birth control pills. Which it does contain not. Estrogen, right? right. And one thing it doesn't say in here is the efficacy. If it's as eff- efficacious as the mixed birth control pills of mm-hmm. estrogen and progesterone, I would I would think it's not quite as effective. So. I think it, you know. I think it's going to be one of those things that you know, once it is available on the sh- on the shelves, you know. I think how is that going to happen? You know, when you go to get over to the counter medications, you know, they're usually like in the aisle or whatever. But there are a few things, you know, behind that are behind the counter with I the pharmacist, like the pseudoephedrine. Wise. I think that would be wise so, to have the, the pharmacist consult. Right. With someone who wants to buy this drug. It right. would seem that that would be reasonable. So I guess the other thing is, you know, is there, like when you buy, you know, like a supply, I'm assuming it'll be a monthly supply. You have you to know, take it every single day. Do you have to, you know, can you only buy so many months worth you know are you limited to that and then i guess the other thing is you know does it have kind of some of the same you know they say you shouldn't take like you know antibiotics and birth control pills together because sometimes people antibiotics upset people's gi tract right they end up with some diarrhea and then if you take the medicines at the same time yes then goes right through quicker and you you may not have it about that so, yeah. So, you know, I think it's it's always interesting, right? So do you think, like, the average person who doesn't know a lot about medicines or some of those little nuances, you know, would think about things, think, things like that? I mean, it's a shortcut, right? It's a shortcut. Because, what, I mean, in reality, what's going to happen is that people aren't going to get pap smears and examined as much. That, and so uh, uterine and cervical cancer rates may jump. Uh, that'll be interesting to see if something like that yeah. happens. Uh, also, they won't connect with their health care provider for their vaccines, maybe. They don't you, have to go for that. You're talking like the Gardasil? Yeah. Like the Gardasil vaccine? The Gardasil vaccine, right. That, the HPV? You know, this is one way to get people to get their health care actually so uh, right uh, well i would think right so you know i guess you know i would think that 
somewhat the standard of care would be that I mean not that I know a lot about you know the whole GYN world um, you know because I've never worked in the GYN world but I would think that you know certainly you know let's just say a teenager of a particular age you know let's just say they're 16 and they become sexually active and want something like birth control I would assume that you know they would like seek out a GYN have have an exam have a pap a pelvic exam and then have a discussion about birth control and and that kind of thing and then that become a part of their regular yearly care and yeah and you know safe sex and whatever that uh, that people do need counseling especially young people I think uh, need counseling about things like that and use of alcohol with With you know, as as a vehicle to have sex, I mean, people get drunk and they they, they don't know what they're doing, and so I think a lot of problems arise from that, from alcohol, and uh, so it, it it's a mixed blessing. Uh, I don't know. It's going to prevent un, unwanted pregnancies. That's for sure. I think the question is, you know, in that. What are they going to be the unintended consequences, though, of having birth control pills available over the counter for people? And like you said, are they going to miss having exams, yeah. et cetera, et cetera? Um, yeah, I think they will. <laughs> and and say, not, not really, right, not get the care um, that they need. Yeah. Um, so those are, there's a couple of um, problems yeah. associated with this. Yeah. We know the other thing, like I think about, you know, certainly in the world, you know, that I work in, um, you know, palliative care. And I have, you know, had um, some patients over the years who have been young and have had like a cervical cancer or a GYN cancer of some sort. And then you look and say, okay, well, what are some of these side effects of having like this um using the birth control and having like the breakthrough bleeding and stuff like that you know whereas a lot of you know kind of the gyn you know issues with cancers and stuff is having like you know bleeding and and that kind of thing you know so it could be a symptom that somebody's maybe having because they're having a pathological problem Mm -hmm. a pathology there that is yeah. maybe going to be kind of yes. like, oh, yeah, like, oh, well, you know, I just get some of the breakthrough bleeding when I take these pills. I must say um, that at the beginning of my career, I saw a, more than a few cases of cervical and uterine cancer. In younger? In younger women. Mm-hmm. But as my career progressed, I think because of women getting pap smears, mm-hmm. more Frequently, I, I saw much less cervical cancer for sure, mm-hmm. and or I think I did. I mean, just my own right. personal experience. So, because uh, women were getting uh, preventative measures to prevent uh, cervical cancer from progressing when they saw abnormal mm-hmm. cells, so I think a lot of cases were were avoided, plus the cortisol vaccine. So now, are we, is this going to be a step backward with 
with the with the issue of cervical cancer. Yeah, I, you know, I think it's going to be a time will tell. I think the question is, you know, what is that time frame going to be? Is it going to be a year into, you know, or something? We're looking maybe at five years down the road. I'd say at least five to ten years, years. to see what the effects of this are going to be. Yeah. But uh, it, it does seem to be a safer uh, drug than the. Uh, the estrogen, estrogen combinations. Combinations with estrogen. So, uh, so we'll see what happens. Yep. Um, wait and see. Wait yeah. and see. Well, we Hurry up and drug. wait. Hurry up and wait, right? <laughs> yeah, like everything else in medicine. And medicine wait. and everything else in life. Hurry up and wait. So the next uh, new medication that was um, approved by the FDA um, is, I'm, I'm not even sure if I'm going to say it right, it's Lekembi, L-E-Q-E-M-B-I, and it is a new drug that's been approved for Alzheimer's. And there are 6.7 million um, adults greater than 65 um, in the U.S. And in the U.S., this is per the Alzheimer's Association that have Alzheimer's disease. And it certainly can be a very devastating disease, I think, not only for the patient that's going through um, the dementia, but also for, for the family. And as they advance through the, the different stages of uh, dementia. So the goal of this is that it's supposed to um, target the beta amyloid and plaques, plaques and um, a slow progression of the disease. It sounds like it's really given in the early stages of the disease. It's and only indicated in early stages, is, so yeah. it has to be caught early, and I guess it has to be uh, proven on an MRI that there's brain atrophy and probably plaques that need are to be seen. In order to, to have the, this drug. So a couple of things about this that they're saying, you know, 27% slower rate of decline, and then they're saying that's about, um, that equates to about, slows the decline for about four five months you know to me so it's not know, all that great well, so <laughs> but it's better oh than, man i got but it's better than anything else oh my god i got out. debbie downer with me <laughs> <laughs> well i know it has uh, right so how long does it extend life to five months or six months or something yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, or at least, you know, the, maybe extends the earlier stages. Yeah. You know, I think that's the question is... For $26,000 you know, a year. So twenty six five a year yeah. um, for, for this drug. I, I think, you know, I, I'm wondering if the balance for it is going to be the cost of the drug versus kind of the cost to society, to families that are caretakers of people with oh, Alzheimer's dementia. Um, you know, They may delay the time that people need a caregiver. Right. Possibly. It may avoid the... Uh, well, I mean, the Allow two worst people. things of Alzheimer's, other than uh, before it becomes so advanced that the patient's vegetative or the yeah. agitation yeah. Uh, that goes with it and incontinence, you know, right, and, you know, losing kind, yeah, not being able to do all your ADLs and personal those care. The, those are the worst things that that end end up people in nursing homes. I think. Right. Well, so, and the fact that they, yeah, that people can't take care of themselves so any, this anymore. That, this right. nursing so home. I think that I think that the thing about this is that you know because it kind of goes 
you know, it certainly, it goes in stages. So in the early stages, you know, if it slows the rate of decline by about five months, but then doesn't really say anything about, all right, well, what happens when we get to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage? Well, then you don't give the drug anymore. Right, but what I'm saying is then then the disease kind of progresses. And, and I think it's a little different. You know, there's no clear-cut timetable for the, you know, when somebody has dementia, you know, one person versus another as to, to how they're affected or how long... You know, they go through the dis- the stages of of the disease, and and um, the patients um, not only have to pay that much, but there is a potentially lethal side effect of bleeding into the brain with this drug. So, all in all, I don't think it's. Hopefully, they'll get drugs that are a little safer and work a little better. But this is an advance for sure. I mean, if if I had a patient who had early Alzheimer's, I certainly would try to see if they had amyloid plaques and see if they would benefit from this drug. Yeah. I think, you know, anything that, you know, I look at it too as kind of the beginning of moving forward and advancing to maybe get things to what happens when we've tried to treat the first stage and maybe slowed that down, then how do we slow things down so that it takes us longer to even get to, you know, maybe five months of the slowing down that decline for five months, you know, maybe with more tweaks and more research and that kind of thing, five months then becomes nine months, and then nine months becomes 14 months over over time and then maybe we we get to the point where we can figure out how that we don't even have to worry about it at all well you're an optimist i know i can't (laughs) i can't help it (laughs) well all right maybe not in our lifetime well maybe in your lifetime well probably not even in my lifetime but um well maybe they are developing new drugs and we're always uh, yeah they may have a an analog or something similar to this that may work a lot better eventually. I mean, they certainly developed. And also the ways of administering the drugs. And mm-hmm. I mean, uh, there's been the major advance in cancer with immunotherapy Therapies. treatments. That's like a, a major revolution. Mm-hmm. I remember when the, the main drug we had was one called BCNU. BCNU. We used BC- to call it BCNU. BCNU. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's it's tough, right, to think yeah, that, BCNU. you know, we're, we're giving we somebody something that, yeah. So well, hopefully we're just on the fringes of making progress in Alzheimer's because really the drugs we've had, uh, Namanda was a little better than Aricept, I think. Mm-hmm. But uh, those drugs... If you gave it to a patient really early, really early, sometimes Mm -hmm. they seem to have some effect slowing it down. Right. But don't you think, I mean, do you think that's hard on some level? Because you had a special certification in geriatrics. So do you think that's kind of hard? Because, you know, at some point we all kind of have, you know, as we get older, a little bit of that kind of memory lapse kind of thing. How do you help determine that 
kind of that fork in the road. This is just normal aging forgetfulness. Well, and this is the beginning of, of Alzheimer's forget, test forgetfulness. simple test that you can do that takes two minutes, and it's like 95% effective. And it's have the patient draw a, a clock with the numbers, all the numbers so on So the face it, of a clock. And tell them what time you want them to have the clock at. And if they can do it, almost certainly they don't have Alzheimer's. If they can't do it, they probably do. It's a very effective test. And it's and it's very part, part of the mini, mini mental? No. It's the other part of? No, it's It's, it's in conjunction with than the mini mental. mental. So the clock is a good... It's a good screening test. It's, it's about over 90% accurate. If somebody can't draw a clock face with an accurate time, meaning putting all their little numbers time, around, all the numbers around, one through twelve, and if you tell them to make it seven thirty-two, mm-hmm. they ought to be able to get seven thirty-two or at least very close to it. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times with Alzheimer's or severe dementia, you'll see the numbers bunched up in one corner and the. Right. There will only be one hand in the and clock, etc. And the, like the hour hand will be real long, and right. the minute hand will be real short. Right. Because it's a complex task, you have, okay. to, you have to do several things in your brain to be able to do that. To get through it. Yeah. Now, of course, if you have other neurological problems, it, you may flunk that test, too. Like if you had a stroke and have a problem right. with language you could you might flunk that test right. as well so it's not like like everything it's not foolproof yeah. but uh, so so this obviously this drug has been developed specifically for alzheimer's dementia alzheimer's dementia so because the, the cause is related to the beta amyloid plaques it's, so it's versus, alzheimer's dementia with plaques okay that it treats so it's only one out of six people with Alzheimer's versus, actually qualified for the drug. Versus like a dementia that is like a vascular dementia Vas- or a Lewy body dementia. Well, I, I guess the total number of people with dementia in the United States is... Well, here they're saying six six 6.1 million with Alzheimer's dementia. Alzheimer's, but with dementia but, in general, it's probably at least twice that or three yeah, times. Yeah, because we have to think about vascular dementia. We have to think about Lewy body dementia. Right. Um, Picks you know, disease, a, a, other a mixture of. Right. There's a mixture. The most common cause cause of dementia is a mixture of vascular and Alzheimer's right. because as you get older, you do lose normally lose brain cells. Mm-hmm. So you are right. You not have, you, you necessarily. Have some we, we all are getting dumber every day. Well, <laughs> <laughs> fabulous. <laughs> but we, you know, we lose kind of the volume loss. Well, you have probably billions of cells in, in your body, in your brain, and, mm-hmm. and you lose maybe a thousand a day, so it's like a little loss, but it's still a loss. Right. And over the years, it builds up. Uh, at age 85, maybe 30% of the population has Alzheimer's disease. So at age 65, it's probably more like 3 to 5% or something like that. So there's a big difference. So, and it's only going to be used probably for young people with early stage. Well, it said 65 Alzheimer's. and above. So, you know, I think you know, I think it'll be key to kind of determine 
you know, again, with the help of, of your healthcare provider. I think, provider, I you think young people can get Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. so I think it's going to be definitely used for young people. But how do you get seen and evaluated kind of in that timely stage and and that kind of thing? And I think a lot of people... have a primary care who's able to recognize things. And then I imagine, you know, because you were specially certified with the geriatric population, geriatrician, um, but I think a lot of like family doctors and stuff probably refer people with any kind of a dementia to a um, neurologist. Oh, I, I would refer people to yeah. neurologists also, but uh, yeah. And then this is just kind of an aside since we, we talked about the, the drug that's now been FDA approved for Alzheimer's. But you know, one of the things I've noticed recently on like TV and commercials, um, commercial is is the dementia, but with like the agitation. Yeah, yeah, they have a new drug it. for agitation. It's, it's kind of interesting to me because you know, always like over the years seeing people with dementia, you know, kind of like broke them up into two categories, right? The the little the person with dementia that has this very sweet disposition and demeanor and then you have the other the quiet component, kind. yes, that have the um, agitated nasty fresh mouth you know which is terrible you know when and especially they weren't like that at all yes and then you young. have poor the poor spouse saying oh my god they never talked like that in their life you know kind of thing and i know that it's just you know emotionally it's so hard for for families mm-hmm. so i have seen my dad you know, had that when he was 90 years old he got alzheimer's dementia i guess it was probably alzheimer's and he didn't recognize my mother yeah. after a while, but he recognized me. Yeah, so, yeah. It's it's strange. interesting how that 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 works. You know, I have a friend who whose dad had some dementia, and she would go over, and he he would say to her, "Who is that lady taking care of me?" And it was his <laughs> wife, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, "Who is that lady?" Well, that's and what my that's what my dad said. He said, "Who's that lady? She's awfully bossy. She bosses <laughs> me around all the time." Right. So. <laughs> he said, what happened to your mother? <laughs> I know, and it's so it hard, sad. right? Do you just say, "Well, that is mom," or you know, do you I don't remember with, what go I with said the flow, <laughs> and we'll tell her not to be so bossy to you. You know, <laughs> I'm sure it's, she was doing it for his own good. I'm sure she was, yeah. you know. But it, it is hard. It's it's a hard disease. It's it's uh, it's hard to be a caretaker. Um, yes. It takes a lot of time patience and energy yep so but it's good that uh, you know a little step forward and we'll see if there's more advances in the future yep. hopefully the cost will come down as well yeah like anything else yeah well maybe you know for drugs eventually the cost comes down so anyway well thank you for listening to another uh, medical matters podcast have a happy healthy safe week You've been listening to the Medical Matters Podcast. Listen weekly for more news and wisdom from professionals who provide direct patient care. The information discussed on this program does not take the place of your provider. Check out past shows, additional content, and leave your questions and comments at medicalmatterspodcast.com.